Hey, movie versus movie family. Guess what? We are still sponsored by Daily Dose of Yarn. Are you like, oh, I could use something to protect my great big brain from Hannibal Lecter trying to scoop it out with a a little dinner spoon? Or are you like, I have a problem with these rats jumping on my head and pulling my hair, puppeting my body around without my control. Well, guess what? I have a solution for you. And this solution is a custom-made hat, a beanie-made, homemade by Daily Dose of Yarn. It's incredible. You can go find them on Instagram or Etsy. The link is in the show notes. Go get one of these beautiful hats. Also, we at the beginning, we also talk uh, until we get a cold open. So uh, do, you uh, have, okay. do, you any, do you have anything funny? <laughs> do you ride the red line often? I do. Is the voiceover announcer always insane? Because he was insane today. Uh, there is and, one guy who is like... Uh, like approaching Central Square. Central Square. That's the guy. <laughs> he's like, you're riding the Braintree line. Braintree. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just like throws in like, hope your Monday's going well. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. This is, after a long absence, the return of Movie versus Movie. Uh, I am your host, Nick, and today I am being uh, co-hosted. What, what what would the word be? I don't know. It's an honor. It's an honor. <laughs> Sub-hosted. <laughs> um, but I uh, am having my my good friend Patrick uh, come in to talk to to talk to us about some movies that we watched together. So Patrick, why don't you introduce yourself? Who are you? I'm Patrick. <laughs> Nick and I. Patrick. <laughs> uh, Nick and I do improv together, yeah. and I've done like two podcasts before this. Which and... ones? What are they? Where can people find your work? <laughs> <laughs> it was my so another improv mate back in Asheville, North Carolina, had a podcast called Gold Bones, and okay. I did two episodes. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. Cool. Yeah. So for all the for all the Patrick stands after the end of the episode, they can find, yeah. find his, uh, his work in Gold Bones. <laughs> if it still exists, I don't know. Um, but Patrick and I were watching some movies and we're like, hey, these movies are tied together by a loose thread. So Patrick, why don't you introduce the theme uh, and what movies we're going to talk about today? Yeah, so uh, the theme is, how do you put it succinctly? The theme is culinary well no the theme is unconventional (laughs) instruction with a culinary twist (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that about sums it up that's pretty good that sums it up because it only started with we watched silence of the lambs yeah which has one of the um greatest culinary mentors in cinema yeah Hannibal Lecter. Exactly. (laughs) And then we were like, oh, obviously we need to pair this with a movie. So what did we decide? Yeah. Well, obviously there's only one better culinary mentor in cinema, and that's Remy the Rat. (laughs) (laughs) Ratatouille. Yeah. So this natural pairing, uh, we're kind of going on this theme of culinary mentors, uh, and we're going to figure out which one is the better culinary movie representation 
in this cage match between Silence of the Lambs, the 1990 classic. Uh, I think it came out in like 1993? Three? Two? Three? Let me see. Somewhere around then. Yeah, it's so somewhere it's, around then. It's like the same age as we are. 90, <laughs> 91. 91, so it's a little Pre- older than we are. Yeah. Uh, and then 2007's when Ratatouille came out. It was about time for Silence of the Lambs for, uh, was due for a remake anyway, so they made Ratatouille. Yeah. <laughs> Disney spin. <laughs> yeah, honestly, they were a little egregious with their references in the yeah, movie. Yeah, I mean, know? it's like shot for shot, I know. really. I mean, you know, come on. no creativity. It's a little cheap, but <laughs> so let's dive into uh, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Silence of the Lambs is directed by Jonathan Dem, uh, and it is you know Jodie Foster and. Uh, Anthony Hopkins as mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter. Did you know that Hannibal Lecter only is on screen for like 13 minutes? Yes, I feel like that's that's always the stat that's thrown out of like because he won Oscar for best lead actor, right? Yeah, people were like, this guy's fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this, this guy's amazing. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, it's, yeah, it's interesting because the movie ostensibly is about Clarice. Yeah, but yeah, obviously he's such like a specter over it. Does um. Uh, Jodie Foster always have that accent that Clarice has. Uh, yes, I'm pretty sure that's her natural. Can I can I say something that might be an unpopular opinion? Go for it. I can't stand that <gasps> accent. It's no. so close to my Heck. stepmother's. Oh no! <laughs> so I was like, oh triggering. boy, this is this is triggering. <laughs> I feel like it is depending on the performance. I feel like it can be grating. Yeah. I feel like it's so iconic. Like she's, well, I mean, she's fantastic in the yeah. film, but and like I, Clarice just, is like her iconic role. Yeah. So, what do you think going into this movie? Had you seen it before? Or? So I had never seen the entire movie, which yeah, I feel like it's one of those that like you see on cable all the yes. time. You like catch for fifteen minutes exactly. At a time. Yeah. <laughs> and I was telling you, I had seen. I distinctly remember seeing the end because I. Um, I'm still a little scaredy pants, but was yeah. more so in, as a kid and would never watch horror movies. But I remember it coming on uh, the scene where she's in the basement. And Ooh, it was yeah, one of those things yeah. where I you turn I turn the volume all the way down to like eight. Yeah. And I just have my my thumb on the back channel button, <laughs> just like waiting for, for something terrifying yeah, <laughs> to happen. I just, yeah. But no, I had never seen the whole thing. I feel like it's one of those movies, too, that has such a massive cultural footprint yeah like it was super it was super interesting to see the movie because i think the movie itself is way more nuanced in like the themes that it's dealing with yeah yeah in its approach to cooking (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean all you ever hear about is the chianti and the liver but yeah i mean like honestly the the movie uh is one of those movies that now people like watching it back are like, oh, I've heard about this a hundred thousand times, and maybe it doesn't have the same resonance, but it's a really well-made movie. It's, it's like really yeah. beautiful. The the shots are interesting, and I think that it, it it deals with some pretty like interesting stuff. Like there's a lot of so we're focusing kind of jokingly on the the whole eating people of it all, but mm. I think that the movie actually really wants you to focus on the idea of being watched and how like people's kind of leering perceptions of you can like 
really affect somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that it mostly does this is by showing uh, Clarice's interaction with people of the opposite gender and within her profession or uh, within the world that she moves within. And then you have some of that too with like Buffalo Bill um, having sort of a, like, you know, obsessing over what they see, I guess, mm -hmm. as like the object of their desire and their brutal murders. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we kept pointing out watching it like so much of the movie is just close up. Someone's entire face like filling the frame. Yeah, it's and, and then they're looking straight down the barrel yes, too. It's yeah. just looking right at you. So it's like really trying to it's sort of um um it's trying to I don't know, include the audience. I don't know. It's just sort of like when you see these people like looking, especially when it's people looking at you who who are making the character either Clarice or the woman that's abducted? I don't remember her name. Um, I don't. Does she? She does have a name. She's a name because she's the, the daughter. Like, the, hey. Yeah. Um, but even like Hannibal, all those people. Whenever people look at them and are have like ill intent, it's like very unsettling because yeah. they're always looking at you with sort of this weird. <laughs> like look in their eye uh, and it's creepy. And as an audience member, since you are being looked at directly, it also makes you feel like, oh, this does not feel good. Yeah, it's like unnatural because you're like, you're not, you're not supposed to be looking at me. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, just, I'm observing, yeah. right? It's <laughs> There's sort like of, a step removed, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's kind of interesting too where it's like um, usually movies let you stay as a participant, uh, not as a participant, but as an observer, like you said, but this kind of forces you to participate because it's making you be one of the the people looking directly at it. Uh, but before we like really dive into the sort of the themes and the, the actual making of the film, let's kind of like start going through what actually happened. So Clarice uh, is our main character, uh, an FBI trainee, mm -hmm. ACAB, <laughs> before the times, but. <laughs> first of all. Yeah, first of all, let's just say ACAB, <laughs> Clarice bastard. <laughs> um, Clarice, you're not exempt. <laughs> Uh, but we the first time we see her is like that, she, and I, I, I'm kind of interested in why you think that they did this, where they just have her on the track doing the the kind of FBI like field training. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like a physical stamina thing. Maybe it's to, I, I don't really know why, like maybe the, the filmmaker was trying to show like this person is really capable. Uh, I'm not really sure. I That makes sense to me. I mean, that's what I, like there's never, even though she, like she's, young and naive like i feel like there's never any doubt in the movie about her intellect and so maybe that's like also to be like look she's like yeah she's fully capable of the job she's in yeah and like setting that up front to kind of give context for like how she's treated the rest of the movie by yeah and and it's kind of interesting too because she's in a field the fbi yeah that is widely dominated by men and a lot of times throughout the movie you see how men are only seeing her as either a sexual object or as a woman sort of like to be ignored or pushed to the the side. Mm -hmm. um, but you also have certain men and it's sort of like one of the parts of the thriller of this movie is like which which person that she's kind of having to put her trust in is going to actually turn out to be a decent person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also like, well, I feel like there's a couple of things. One, I read, I might have been on the Wikipedia, that 
like this movie came out won like best picture and everything yep. it was super popular and the fbi started using it to like recruit mm-hmm. female agents yeah. which i feel like kind of speaks to the cultural legacy of the movie too because like watching the actual movie you know like clarice is like badass and like does solves the case but like being a woman in that it doesn't make it look very fun yeah it's sort of like why would you use this to recruit yeah. because the whole movie is like wow look how badly they're treating yeah. her like from the start right. to the finish um because like uh yeah so as she gets pulled off the field she's basically told go talk to your boss essentially this guy who named jack crawford who is um someone who is a teacher in um and when she was coming up through the academy and we also have sort of a um i, I kind of think it's like a red herring where they talk about how he's the only person who gave her like a a, a, a b minus or something for a paper oh, that he was like yeah that. you wrote you wrote this like great paper and she was like yeah you gave it like an a minus or something um which kind of i feel like sets it up to be like oh this guy's also an asshole um and we kind of follow him uh, as he um, wants her help trying to solve the Buffalo Bill case, um, which is uh, this person, a serial killer, who has been kind of skinning parts of women and then dumping them into different bodies of water and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't catch him. He's in West Virginia somewhere. Well, actually, this is an interesting thing, too, where we'll talk about later, but I'm sort of at a loss to say which pronouns to use because there's a lot of stuff in there where, like, this is probably the most problematic part of the film is that it's kind of the classic transgender uh, killer sort of thing. But there's also a lot of stuff within the movie where, like, even Hannibal Lecter is like, this person is not transgender this person's just insane yeah (laughs) i feel like that's the like nuanced stuff that like i was surprised by where like they do the movie like does go out of the way to be like they're not like committing crimes out of because of like sexual deviancy yeah they're like that's their you know they've suffered abuse and trauma in their life and like there's a lot of other stuff going on obviously that all gets lost in like everything i feel like just all of the 90s was like you know, just all of the awful like Buffalo Bill style jokes yeah. that come out of it. Yeah. You know, obviously, but yeah, I thought that was um, surprising. It's it's surprising, and I and I also don't even know how much the movie takes that claim seriously because there are points where they are showing Bill sort of like putting on makeup and lipstick, and it's kind of played for like, look how creepy and scary this is. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not even sure how much the movie believes it, but it's in the script. You know what I mean? There's like right. parts of the script where it's like, oh, this isn't, this person isn't doing this because they are actually a woman. They're doing this because they want to dramatically change themselves because they hate who they are and they want to escape their feeling of helplessness in their life. And so they are seeking power essentially through killing people yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of like a really nuanced thing where I, I don't know where I land on it where it's like it's like you said way more nu- nuanced than all the Buffalo Bill jokes in um, and just sort of the references um, and I think it's even more nuanced than the the cinematographer takes it sometimes um, so I, I don't know how much credit to give. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's I feel like it is walking a weird line, and like it's also well I, in the movie too. I'm also like it's Hannibal Lecter that's um, 
analyzing him and like you're not Hannibal Lecter's not necessarily the most reliable character. Yeah. Like I know he's like the smartest man in the world or whatever, yeah. but also I'm like <laughs> he's just gonna say whatever. He's the do- Dosakis man. Yeah. <laughs> like, when I when I do eat people, I eat it with a Dosakis. Yeah. <laughs> the most last... interesting man in the world. His little hat in the last scene. This is <laughs> amazing. We'll get there, but like, um, so yeah, so she's pulled off the course. She goes to her old teacher Jack Crawford, who is um, this guy in the FBI who's seeking out. He's like a psychologist and criminologist, I guess. Uh, yeah. And they're trying to figure out this Buffalo Bill case and so then they send Clarice to Hannibal Lecter um, basically like Jack Crawford's like biggest catch essentially who put Hannibal away Um, and he is a cannibal (laughs) but also a psychologist who's just like a brilliant psychologist and they think that by going there maybe Clarice can get a little bit of something out of um Hannibal that might help with the case. So they send her to Baltimore. <laughs> and it's, I, it was wild to me how, like, that's the iconic scene, like yeah. Hannibal behind the glass mm-hmm. doing the thing in the, like, but that's like the second scene of the movie. It's like five minutes in and you're in that and you're like gripping the edge of your seat because it's like, and it's shot beautifully. It's really amazing. There's a, if you go onto YouTube, there's a really great channel called Every Frame of Painting and they break down this scene about how every time Clarice and Hannibal are in a scene together, um, the cinematography is shot in such a way that you can always see the power dynamic between them uh, by based on like who is above the other in the frame and like who's looking directly into the camera or who's looking off to the side. Who do we get the most access to? Um, it's a really interesting video essay. Uh, so I would recommend doing that as a com- companion piece to this <laughs> to this uh, podcast. Um, but yeah, so we, they send her to the thing. But before we actually see Hannibal, we meet the psychiatrist or whatever who's like the total jerk oh, face. Yeah, <laughs> I had like forgotten about him. He Dr. Frederick Chilton. Yeah, he's just like a huge asshole. Immediately he's like, hey, uh, you, Baltimore's a cool town. Want to like go out on the town and date me? And she's like, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say earlier when we were talking about the male gaze stuff that like it doesn't ever get super overtly sexual Mm -hmm. which i guess like he's the closest one that is but i do kind of appreciate that like they it kind of like trusts the audience to get just like a lot of it's in like looks and like well there's one moment that is a little bit more overtly sexual (laughs) maybe i'm preparing to watch this movie again no you don't you don't (laughs) know what happens immediately after (laughs) yeah i know you're talking about we'll get there um but yeah the i i agree that like um it's sort of like Zodiac uh, and in a way of that the movie doesn't tell you what all of these characters are thinking. And oftentimes mm-hmm. it just like lets them look at you. And that kind of I think that that's kind of the point that you don't know what they're thinking and mm-hmm. it could be harmful. It could be not. And since when the camera is looking directly at them and they're looking directly into the camera, they are placing you into Clarice's shoes so that you are like, oh, this feels really bad and scary yeah. because they're just staring at me in a weird way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, so she goes down. Chilton's a total tool. Uh, walks her to the um, to the uh, patient's room, I guess. And uh, he's like, hey, uh, when we go in, and she's like, oh, no, just me. And he is immediately a jerk to her. Uh, kind of setting up that he kind of 
feels some level of ownership over Hannibal um, in a very strange way that we'll probably discuss later. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, she gets into the the kind of cell and goes down and there's this kind of raving line of criminals who are just like grabbing the bars and crying and like screaming um, really setting up that man this place sucks <laughs> yeah. yeah like I feel like a little cartoonishly so probably yeah, like, yeah. man these people but, are super mentally ill yeah. if they were at, like acting this way yeah. I mean there's one guy who's like just jerking off in his cell um, uh, and it's not great <laughs> yeah. uh, and again she's just sort of like Ugh, this is scary and terrible walks through um, but throughout all of this and throughout the whole movie, she is being forced to repress those feelings, too. Like, she cannot express, I don't like this. This is scary. This is uncomfortable. Because as a woman, she actually can't because then she would then be sort of like the last bit of power that she has by being given essentially status mm -hmm. through the FBI. <laughs> yeah. Um, that would all be taken away from her if she, like broke and there's right. like several yeah. moments in the movie where it's showing that kind of duality between her being very uncomfortable and her trying to keep it all together so she can repress her own emotions um yeah and you get like the little flashbacks to her dad i feel like a lot of times yeah. in those moments when she's like on the edge of breaking but yeah, yeah. i just want to say i do not recommend the silence of the lambs 3d experience what is that <laughs> i'm just kidding i was <laughs> just thinking of the, the just a bad up. joke yeah. about the, <laughs> like the disney ride where you're going in this yeah, part it's is like, real gross <laughs> it's a little, yeah the 4dx thing where yeah. they like have the smells and the yeah. squirt water on you um yeah so she talks to hannibal so let's talk about hannibal the way he's kind of introduced he like sits down, or she sits down, or maybe she doesn't. She just kind of walks into frame. I think she sits in like a folding chair. Yeah. Because I think he's standing for a lot of it, and that's part of it, because he's like right up against the thing. Um. No. Yeah. Cause, well, because there's so there's the Silence of the Lamb novel, mm -hmm. but then I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure there was another movie prior to this with Hannibal in it. I don't remember which one. Uh, well, it's like a prequel, but I think it came out after this movie. It's called like. Uh, Red Dragon or like Hannibal Rising or something like that. Yeah. And it's like him in Siberia or somewhere <laughs> eating but people yeah. and being crazy. But um, yeah, he's an existing character that already exists, to, I feel like, to some extent in pop culture. I think the book was super popular. Yeah. And I mean, the TV show, like the um, Hannibal that came out on like CBS, I think. I don't know. It's like... Uh, so there was one time where I was like, I can't sleep. And uh, let's just look through the internet. And I fell down this hole and I ended up at a Hannibal TV show ASMR, like rough cut of him just cooking people. Oh, and Jesus so Christ. it was like, I was so utterly repulsed. But at the same time, I was like, this is oddly captivating. <laughs> just like he is in the movie. Because I think Anthony Hopkins has like a really interesting way of portraying him of being so courteous, so calm and collected. Mm -hmm. Like he's very nice. He seems like a totally normal person mm -hmm. until he's like, yeah. and like, I'm gonna eat you. And like, I kill people and I eat them. Um, even when he says it, it's sort of just kind of blase. Like, yeah, I kind of do that. Um. <laughs> yeah. And he's, I mean, again, I feel like so much of this movie I'm thinking about is like what I 
what I understand like Hannibal Lecter to be without having seen the movie and now like having seen the movie and what is the biggest difference I guess when when you kind of think of this scene and like what you understood from just culture beforehand and then what you saw when you were in there I mean I feel like Hannibal Lecter is like such an outsized figure especially in the like true crime serial killer world yeah. because that's like he's like the ur serial killer like yeah. the platonic <laughs> ideal of what yeah. people think of as a serial killer but he's like such a fantastical character that doesn't exist in that like the conceit i think is like what if the smartest man in the world was a cannibal yeah. you know had an uncontrollable desire to kill and eat people yeah which is super interesting but when you're thinking about like in re i just feel like there's with like serial killers there's this you know people they get portrayed or thought of as these like calculating cold calculating geniuses yeah and like i feel like that isn't isn't a helpful way to think about them because it kind of I feel like it removes, I feel like it would go down a rabbit hole here, yeah. <laughs> removes like culpability from like police not catching them because yeah. usually their their victims are people that the police don't care about. And yeah. then it also- And like, in the case of the Zodiac, it was a police officer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know that. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> right. Um, but, but I will yeah. say that like, the thing that is interesting about this movie too is that when it pits Hannibal against both criminals and like police and people who are supposed to be at the top of their fields like Chilton and mm -hmm. Jack Ca Crawford and all that kind of thing um, he is always shown to be the more calm the more collected the more like in a lot of ways like the more he he is not a uh, servant to his emotions in any way right you know what I mean like he, right there's like a couple of times where he does break but he, but when that happens when it does break he kind of breaks on the side of like man that was horrible I'm sorry that that happened to you let me help you in this moment as an apology for what just happened to you <laughs> it's like this like kind of weird decorum um, and when you view that against like Chilton who's like driven by his desire for fame and power and kind of like this menacing sort of cruelty over others even though he's a doctor mm -hmm. or buffalo bill who is sort of shown to be a little deranged in some way and sort of kind of incapable of dealing with the life that bill is in you know what i mean like yeah and yeah Buff buffalo bill comes off as more like impulsive and like quick to anger and you know yeah less you know even which I think is also like speaks to some of the more like nuanced stuff. Cause I just, yeah, you know, with Buffalo, like the scene where I know I'm jumping ahead, but where Clarice is finally in the house and catches yeah. him. And like, once he knows that like something's up, he like immediately panics and like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not this cool, calm and collected it's not, guy that's like, it, yeah. it's not like in t a Tarantino scene where everyone has the gun under the table and they're all yeah. looking at each other very calm and collected and everyone just starts shooting. Yeah. It's more like, oh my God, I'm yeah. fucking God. Um, and, and in that way sort of is more human, I guess. And, yeah. And in a way that like Hannibal Lecter is not human, is more of like this, like you said, right. like the errs, sort of serial yeah. killer kind of thing. But even how he's like, I feel like, another i haven't seen the other hannibal movies so i don't know how he's, he's and, portrayed and in them. i have a lot to say about those as well because okay. um i think that the following movies really undoes a lot of the work of, <laughs> uh, of the first one yeah um 
but keep going. What well, I was going to say, like, he just, his whole deal, like, I could see being portrayed more just as, like, a typical, like, horror movie icon where he's, you know, the looming monster that's yeah. coming to get you. Where, like, in this movie, although he's not on screen that much, I do feel like he is, like, portrayed more as just, like, a human being versus, like, but I, there's a little bit of both, I guess, too, because then he does... You know, he has these scenes where he cuts people's faces off and, yeah, like, and like, splays the man up on the flags. Yeah, and, and he, like, literally uses his, like, teeth and claws as yeah. weapons. Like, he, he becomes a monster. Right. And yeah. is very animalistic in the way he does things. But it's sort of these wild swings between being completely collected yeah. and this. Like, there, again, we're skipping ahead a little bit. We'll come <laughs> back. But there's that part where he's, like, walking over in that cell and he has the knife and he's just kind of, like, whistling and he's like, all right, off or whatever it's time and then like the next time you see that officer his face has been cut off and all of his organs have been like pulled out of his body and he's been like crucified and you're like holy shit <laughs> right and you're like how long was he yeah <laughs> nobody saw that these people didn't come back for like an hour <laughs> um but as we jump back so clarice goes and interviews um dr lecter and essentially is trying to get his uh ideas about what bill might like what his demographics are, what might any indications of who Buffalo Bill might be. Mm-hmm. Um, he sees through it immediately and is like, like, fuck you, essentially. Yeah. Um, and outplays her when it comes to psychology because he can get into her head better than she can get into his. Mm-hmm. And essentially dismisses her um, after she tries, you know, several times to try to goad him into giving her information. And you have that kind of thing. And again, this is a really interesting thing about it is that when he does do the like, uh, I ate his liver with fava beans and a nice Chianti. Uh, like that was in order to scare her, but wasn't sort of a direct threat. You know, he mm-hmm. was just like playing with her. Right. Uh, he was kind of like breaking down this person. And in the way that he's like kind of most scary is that he can kind of do that. Like he is able to break somebody down and like, We'll talk about it. It's like the next scene that we literally hear that he had like whispered to someone all night and that person killed themselves the next day. It's like uh, he has kind of this like um, supernatural control over the psychology of others. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she like is leaving. The guy next to Lecter in the cell uh, has been jerking off and throws semen at her and splashes her in the face. And that's why the 4D experience is really not, <laughs> not a ride that you should yeah. go to. Because it's uh, just Universal. that scene. It's just over and over. And you're like, that please actually, let me off, please. Well, there is this, you get the bucket, like the bucket's coming at you. Yeah. It's like you're in the pit. You get yeah. the bucket. Yeah. It and smells like pit. Just pit smells. Yeah, and and when I was on the ride, it was like a teenager running it, and the 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 damn kid just kept pulling us through it. Like just, <laughs> it was like we would pull off, we would like try to get out of our seats, and then he would just send us right back to the cum shot, you know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so she gets like hit with this in this really both degrading but also very like um gendered way of assaulting someone right yes. it's like a man using something very masculine i guess um to attack someone who is a uh woman and and hannibal lecter then calls her back and is like i hate him i hate that i'm here yeah. i hate this place i'm a civilized person these are things that you might want to know and like tells her a bunch of like things and sends her off 
um, mm. basically sends her to a location uh, that he kind of hints at. Yeah, um, I feel like it's also like a little bit of a test too. Yeah, yeah, he it's gives her he gives her like a fake name, I think, and she figures out. Yes, I feel like it's a bit of a stretch. She figures something out and then call <laughs> goes to a random storage locker with like the really the guy who runs the storage locker. He's like has the driver. It was really. I yeah. didn't understand what was happening. Yeah, me there. neither. It's like this old man who's like, "Yeah, it was, it was done like ten years ago." Oh, my driver's in yeah. there, and she's like, "Can you have the driver come help me?" Uh, and he's like, "Nope." <laughs> it's like, "Okay, you dick." There's <laughs> like uh, a person who's trying to get into this like very creepy like uh, storage container you've just, I guess, kept closed for ten years. Yeah. Um, very weird. But there's a body in it, or a head, yes, just a head, just the head. Yeah. Um, uh, and she is able to. Uh, look into the person's like mouth and finds the the moth, you know, the that weird, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. The skeleton moth. Yeah. The, the thing from the poster. Death's head moth, yeah. apparently. It's cool. Um yeah, very weird, very creepy. And she goes back to talk to oh, sorry, she goes back to talk to Lecter first and says that there's a man um that is linked to Buffalo Bill and uh, offers the profile on who he thinks is the suspect who did that. So essentially um, uh, trying to give information and in re- in return he wants to get the fuck away from Chilton because <laughs> apparently Chilton just sets up a TV and has like a priest sermon on yes. like a televangelist. Uh, yeah. Horrifying. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, that's like, like – Abu Ghraib torture shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were doing. It's like Guantanamo Bay shit. Yeah, like, this is this isn't even the Bush years yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, and and in that time as well, you we learn a couple things. One that Jack Crawford sent her into the cell with Hannibal without much sort of prep because he like didn't really trust her essentially. Yeah. Um, and also we learn that the person who flung the cum at her uh, was basically tortured by Hannibal Lecter by him sort of like destroying his already fairly fragile psyche um, with his psychological talents and that person also uh, took their own life. So it's like uh, you get to hear some stuff where you're like, oh, shit. But again, this is weird. The weird thing about it is that you don't feel like, oh, man, Hannibal's terrible. You're like, oh yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that guy's like, gross. <laughs> yeah, like I said, Hannibal. He kind of did did everyone a solid, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, is he really the bad guy? <laughs> um, yeah, and so uh, then they are all setting down um, because Lecter demands sort of like a deal with Starling, uh, offering clues in exchange for him to like interview her as well because she keeps going back being like I need some clues man mm-hmm. I really need some clues um, and he's like okay I'll ask questions about you your personal life and then you can ask questions from yeah. me says I'm um, gonna ask you why the movie's called this <laughs> she's like why, what does the silence of the lambs mean yeah. uh, why are lambs important yeah and we kind of learn that um, Clarice uh, actually does open up to him Um and shows like a vulnerable feminine side. Again, I think going to the movies sort of flip flipping masculinity and femininity femininity on its head. So like a lot of masculine traits like Chilton are shown to be, you know, uh, destructive, punitive, and ultimately 
kind of obstructive to actually helping people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Clarice being vulnerable and telling this story about how she, her father passed away and she was really sad about that. And then she had to live with her aunt and uncle and Lecter was like, ah, and he like fucked you, right? (laughs) Like immediately, immediately went to like sexual assault. And she's like, no, they're great people. Um, But they like slaughtered lambs and Mm -hmm. I could hear them screaming and she tried to escape with one um, but they like found her and brought her brought the lamb back and killed it anyway and then her uncle was mad at her because she let all the lambs out Um, fucked up it was weird it's like a really sad story she's like it's a great performance by Jodie Foster like Mm -hmm. her telling that monologue who very good very yeah, good. did she win the Oscar? She probably did, right? I feel like I think this movie won like a million Oscars. Yeah, it I definitely think... was um, uh, an awards season darling. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just like really interesting to me that um, because she tells this very vulnerable weakness that she and this like fear and the the fact that she is like empathetic and can't get that out of her head that she still has nightmares about it. Then Hannibal Lecter's like thank you like you opened up to me in a real way mm-hmm. and he helps her for it mm-hmm. um and it's sort of like hey this is some information um chilton though uh eavesdrops and kind of reveals that clarice's offer of like going in and saying like hey i'll get you transferred out of here uh you'll have this island that you can walk on it's great it's awesome you'll love it there is all a lie that uh <gasps> crawford kind of sent her in with um and he is like, hey, uh, if you actually help me advance my career, I'll actually do something for you kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but he's a huge dick about it, and we hate him. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. Yeah. yeah. And then he gets transferred. I The whole – it's like a high school gym where they send him or something. Yeah, it's like it's sort of like a post office or like town hall or yeah. something feeling kind of thing. That whole set is fascinating. It's like – I feel like that's just the spectacle of it all, really. Like, Yeah, and, and it kind of uh, relates to who Hannibal is, right? Because even when he has this um, the stone sort of prison cell that he's in, he has sketched these beautiful, like, Vienna mm-hmm. landscapes and, like, a view in Paris and all that kind of stuff from memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he's there, he's kind of surrounded in a way of, like, he's able to to live out his sort of ideals, which is like beauty, grace, and kind of etiquette, um, which is then drastically uh, counterbalanced by him um, being a horrible monster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so he uh, gets thrown in the weird mask in the straight jacket and carted out uh, to the senator because the senator's daughter has been kidnapped by Buffalo Bill. Oh, no. <gasps> um, and we see that like very early on. Did you also notice that there's like the cat in the window uh, and it's her cat, the the woman's, and that the it's never resolved what happens to that cat. Oh, no. I didn't know that. But I will say the scene, the introduction of her character, the mm-hmm. senator's daughter, I can't remember her name. Yeah. Uh, it's just like a very small thing, but I really – I feel like it was really it was a very good performance by the actress. It just yeah. opens with her She's singing yeah. Tom Petty in the car. Yeah. And it's just this very like natural performance of like, that's how I sing in the car. <laughs> like, oh my god, she just like me. <laughs> yeah. And like uh and it is interesting too, because the way that Buffalo Bill like gets her 
um, is that she is trying to be helpful. And again, it is this sort of masculine, like hateful, destructive energy preying mm-hmm. upon the sort of like nice, vulnerable, emotionally yeah. kind energy. Um, yeah, it just does feel sort of like, man, this world just steps on kindness wherever it yeah. can. <laughs> and I think Buffalo Bill is like an amalgamation of multiple different well-known serial killers. Yeah, like he had the cast on and stuff, and I think that's like, uh, I forget who it Ted was. Bundy or yeah, like Bundy would like pretend to be injured yeah. and be like, hey, can you help me? And then like, Aaron's, club Aaron's screaming at the recording right now because she knows, she <laughs> definitely knows which one it was. Aaron is another uh, one of our uh, improv troupe as well. So and shout out. Partner. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Aaron. Um, yeah, so um, where were we? Oh, yeah, so he gets transferred after basically being really gross to the senator. Did you really get that? I don't really understand why he did it. Oh, yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, a status thing, maybe? Like just power? like Yeah, because he's in this, like, extremely vulnerable, you know, compromised position. Yeah, They're literally, in the street jacket, in yeah. the, the Tom Hardy <laughs> He's <mask>. wheeling him <laughs> out, yeah. <laughs> he's doing the Bane voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to crash this plane. <laughs> what does he say? You're a big man for you. <laughs> no, and he, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's just also kind of like a little shit heel and like can't help himself. Yeah, he just can't help poking her. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's weird because he's not like that to Clarice. I mean, he is at the beginning, I guess. And I guess it's like whenever he finds somebody wanting, I don't know. Yeah. Also, this is the this is exactly the problem with I think the culture around this movie. Like you said again, Clarice is the main character, and yet we're like psychoanalyzing Hannibal Lecter because he's like, you know, right? Oh, you know, but, also, but uh, yeah. yeah. But also, I feel like the point is that he's like inscrutable because he's like um, he's a walking contradict. He's like the yeah. biggest contradiction. Yeah. <laughs> so, and who one, knows why he does anything? <laughs> one thing that we sort of skipped over too is that they went to one of the victims' ha- like homes where because they find a victim, mm-hmm. um, and they go to like the funeral home, I guess, where the yeah, coroner is. Yeah. That is a really interesting scene where all of the policemen are just kind of like, again, it's like all of these men and the camera makes sure to, to lock eyes with every single yeah. one of them. And it's just Clarice sort of like standing in the background, like looking at all of them and they're all just sort of discounting her. And even Jack Chilton, uh, not Jack Chilton, uh, Jack Crawford. Jeremy Crawford or whatever, yeah, um, was like, oh, she's a woman, so she can't handle it, so maybe we should talk alone or something. Right. Um, and she even kind of uses it herself at one point, being like, hey, guys, I'm just a little woman. Can everyone leave? Yeah. <laughs> and like, I guess we'll respect you. But then they even have the seat, like, Jack apologizes after, is like, oh, he's just saying that because of, like, the audience we were with. I don't remember what, she's, she's basically like, never do that again. <laughs> yeah, she's like, that fucking sucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, it's interesting because this is, again, one of those moments where you're like, is Jeremy, is Crawford, like, an asshole? Is he a bad person? Like, is he also one of these men, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, I feel like his character is, like, on this weird line. Because there's also, the, I think, too, in the book, their relationship is more overtly sexual. Oh, I can't really? remember if she actually sleeps with him or if it's just that he wants to sleep with her. Mm. And I feel like the the like subtext is there in the movie, but I'm glad that it's not text. Yeah, and in fact, I kind of almost disagree. Because like near the end, there's a moment where it shows this very non-sexual handshake. 
Yes. Um, and it kind of contrasts from when she gets the papers from Hannibal Lecter and he kind of like lets his finger like rub on right. her hand. Yeah, this is true. Um, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, yeah, he's like almost more, I mean, I feel like Jack Crawford's almost more like a father type figure. Yeah, he's like a very non-sexual Whereas almost everybody yeah. else sexualizes her. Yeah. Even sort of. Well, I mean, like, I don't even. There's a tenderness with uh, Hannibal by the end, but I don't know whether or not it's sexual or not. I mean, spoiler alert, future movies make it very <laughs> sexual. Uh, in a, yeah. Or even the future books, it's like um, she starts, she falls in love with him and yeah. then he, like, kills and eats her, which yeah, is, like, not. Is not what is no that's upsetting yeah the yeah no i think the um uh, what was i gonna say the the jack crawford thing i think the only time he really like delves into that is like when he admits that like i sent you in there because i and i thought an attractive young woman would yeah help get to hannibal more yeah but it is yeah i feel like it is also more just about not necessarily how he perceives her but about like just knowing her how she's perceived in the world she's in. Yeah. Yeah, it's but. interesting because he kind of weaponizes it. almost, And sometimes without her consent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is not great. Um, yeah. And again, makes you feel like, are you a good person? Are yeah, you well, because he's just kind of, yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he's kind of just controlling, or he's, he's. I feel like a lot of the movie he's using her, you know? Like, well, it's, I mean, that's another theme of the movie is like manipulation. And yeah. like everyone is manipulating each other. Right. Um, and <clears throat> manipulating how people perceive each other. Or using the perception. I mean, like, the main thing about Buffalo Bill is that Bill wants to be perceived differently. And mm -hmm. that is how, yeah. why, yeah. you know, he's making a woman suit. Yeah. <laughs> Did we ever talk about that? That he's, like, slowly skinning parts of people and making a woman suit? And so, like, the kidnapped girl is in this well. And he's like, hey, lotion up because mm -hmm. we, I need your skin to be yeah. soft. Um also, she's super resourceful at the end, and I want to talk about it. But first, <laughs> um, here we go. So, yeah, then, like, Starling kind of analyzes um, or, like, goes back to Hannibal Lecter, even though she's sort of taken off the case. And he's, you know, has his classical music, and he's hanging mm -hmm. out, and he's like, oh, I didn't think I'd see you again. How are you? And she's like, you fucking lied to everyone. It's, like, that name you gave was a anagram for fool's gold you're right. fucking with everyone and he's like yep <laughs> um and she's like where do i actually have to go and he he basically talks to her talks her through hey you you idolize things you see every day you like things that are familiar right um which right. helps her kind of narrow in geographically like because there is no uh, rhyme or reason to where the bodies are dumped, except right. for the first one, which is like taken care of slightly differently. And so she, like, essentially using his sort of um, uh, last bit of you know counsel, like narrows in a range of probability of where the murderer would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, then she also goes and starts talking to the people that the first victim knew. Yeah. Because that's when she finds the patterns and yeah. the, the dress patterns mm -hmm. and ties it back to the pieces of skin that were cut out of the body and realizes that he's making a suit. Constructing yeah. a skin suit. Which, again, it's a movie, but also like the way I don't. I guess it's. 
it feels like they reach these conclusions quickly. You know, it's like a yeah. eureka moment where she's like, dress pattern, skin suit. <laughs> and you're like, would you? I, but uh, A uh, plus B equals skin suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and she does go, but she also gets a, a call with Jeremy where she's like, I, I figured it out. He's yeah. making a skin suit. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're about to go like kill yeah. him right now. <laughs> he's like, we're in a helicopter right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going in. Um, and the... Uh, helicopter goes down, they go into this house, and they find that nothing is there. Which, I mean, I feel like it's it's a trope that is done more frequently now, but, like, the bait and switch is beautiful. When yeah. You have all the guys, you see the house from the outside, you have all the guys, and then I think they cut to Buffalo Bill on the inside, mm-hmm. and they, they show all the guys. They do some interesting camera work where it's, yeah. it's very much the language of film is saying, they are in the same place as Buffalo Bill because right. they're cutting back and forth so like smoothly between the two locales that you're like, oh, obviously he's there, right? right. It's like that's the place. Um, and you think Clarice is just going to talk to like I think an acquaintance, like a woman, an acquaintance yeah. of someone. Yeah, and it's then like you get, her the first victim's friend in Chicago or something. Yeah, and then you get the thing, you get the door opens and it's Buffalo Bell, and you're like, ah, ah, run! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she's like, yeah, he like knew this um, seamstress or worked for the seamstress with this guy, and she's like, okay, I'll guess I'll go talk to her, and mm-hmm. opens it up and it's Buffalo Bill, yeah. and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> um, yeah, very scary. Um, and at this moment, it kind of cuts away to Hannibal's escape, which is maybe the most action and like yeah. gory well, that, part of the movie. Yeah, that all happens before all this, right? Because there is a scene or where during, right? I, don't know. I think it's before because there is a scene where after he's escaped, or no, maybe that's the very end. That's the very end. That's after just, she gets the medal. Um, I think this is, is happening in the same place because the first time we get. Um, her reaction to his escape is at the like award ceremony, um, where the her okay. friend is like, "Hey, did you hear that he escaped?" And yeah. she's like, uh, "Yeah, bad." <laughs> but she's also like, I th- "There's some point where they're like, we don't think he'll come after you, Clarice, yeah. or maybe she says it. I don't know." Yeah, she's like, "I, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think he yeah. would sort of thing." Um, it's it's not even really said. It's just sort of like she doesn't seem worried about it, and then he kind of tells her uh, at the end. But we'll get there. Um, this escape scene is wild, very cool, well done, yeah. um, very cruel, and it immediately. I think that it's really interesting that throughout the entire movie, it's kind of setting up Hannibal to be sort of like an anti like anti hero, where mm-hmm. he's you know, put upon and people are cruel to him and he's awful. And yeah, he's like spooky sometimes, but he hasn't really done anything bad. Like he's Mm -hmm. actually done some nice things for Clarice and Mm -hmm. been fairly kind in some ways. Yeah. Um, That is like, that illusion is completely (laughs) pulled away in this scene where he, uh, again, super brilliantly has... um, has stolen a pen from Chilton because he's a fucking idiot uh, and unlocks his handcuffs when they come to give him dinner. Yeah, and they send they they send in the yokels to yeah. give him dinner. They're like, yeah. let's get the two oldest. The <laughs> oldest kind of like nearest to retirement <laughs> yeah. cops. Um, and the thing that's kind of sad about it to me, and it kind of like, I maybe this is brilliant, I don't know. They set it up so that like these cops 
in comparison to all the other cops and people who have dealt with Hannibal, are pretty nice to him. They're like, hey, Hannibal, like, hey, we got you your second dinner. Like, you know the deal. Can you lock yourself up, sir? And he does. And then they come in and they give it to him. And they're just sort of like treating him well. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And he unlocks the cuffs and beats one guy to death with a club. And then grabs another guy and, like, starts eating his face. Like, just, like, biting into his, like, fucking face. And blood is everywhere. And you just see this. There's this one shot of him above the guard who he's beating to death with the club. And he's just kind of swinging it almost like a sort of like a conductor to the music. Yes. Yep. And it is so inhuman and really insane. You know, it's like, oh, this person that we thought was like misunderstood, maybe bad, like was bad, but like was okay to everyone that we like as an audience is horrifying. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. is a monster. <laughs> oh, he bad. Yeah, he's real bad. <laughs> yeah. And then again, well, that's like the first bait and switch, I guess too. Cause then you cut away, you get that and then you cut away and then it's all from the perspective of the police figuring out something's How going on, away, yeah. watching the elevator. Then they find, the, they think they find the one cop, but turns out, yeah, they someone under that mask. What a what a great I I mean like this is a better heist movie than Ocean's 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he basically like cuts off someone's face and puts it on himself and then like slows his heart down or something so that they're like, "Okay, throw him in the the yeah. ambulance." And then he like gets up and then kills everyone in the ambulance and like drives away. Yeah. Very scary. And he kills a lot of innocent people, and he's not a nice guy. We learned that very quickly. (laughs) Um, But Clarice, on the other hand, is now in the house with Buffalo Bill, and it's terrifying because she slowly realizes who he is. Yeah. Uh, And then there's this, like, pretty dramatic sort of hunting scene where – she goes down. She finds the the girl who's just, like, screaming, super terrified. And, I mean, the girl's, like, been – Whereas in some horror films, you're like, oh, come on. Why are you doing this? You're going to get yourself killed. She, like, worked her ass off not to die. Yeah, everything <laughs> she does, I'm, like, totally believable. That's how a human would react in this situation. Yeah, she, like, like tries to goad the dog yeah. down into the well and, like, threatens the dog so that Buffalo Bill won't skin her alive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then gets uh, – when Clarice comes down there, she's like, oh, my God, thank God somebody came to rescue me. And Clarice is like, not now. I got to go. And she, <laughs> she's like, like, no! She's like, you bitch. And you're like, that's an honest reaction. Yeah. It's a great reaction. I really like it. And so, yeah, they go down and um, there's this like Bill cuts the lights and it's this pretty scary sort of moment of. And honestly, this is my least favorite part of the film. One, it's very scary, especially when I was a kid. I was like, this is terrifying. But it's basically from Bill's like night vision goggles Mm -hmm. that he has. And Mm -hmm. he is. Again, we're using he because. We fucking don't know what Bill is. Yeah, <laughs> I guess they use he in the movie. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, but it's sort of video gamey in that you can kind of see his hands sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I really like that. But no, I don't uh, know. It's it works. <laughs> it, it works. He's like about to like touch her hair. It's just this weird thing because it's like he could, he could like grab her and kill her. But there's this weird. He does seem to have this weird like reluctance or like fascination yeah where he's like just like doesn't really know exactly how to react yeah and he's in a he's a place of power right he's like yeah yeah and he turns and clicks the gun that he has and clarice 
uh, trained, awesome FBI agent, I guess, yeah. is like, I hear a click, just I like, drop to the ground, shoot him seven times. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> unload my clip on him. Yeah, just bang, 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 uh, and then uh, Bill just falls and is dead, and then, you know, um, the day is saved, the police come, everyone gets brought out, the, mm-hmm. the girl gets returned to her family, and Clarice is getting this, like, graduation medal because she's out of training, like, she's out of training, she's going in, and then uh, Jeremy, is it Jeremy or Jack Crawford? Jack Crawford. Jack Crawford. I said Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy Crawford is a D and D designer. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh damn it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jack Crawford is like, you did a good job. Put her there, and then yeah. for the first time as equals, they kind of shake hands. Yeah. And it's like a very non-sexual thing. It's sort of like she has elevated herself out of that. Right. Um, in a weird way. I wonder what that means. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but then, ring, ring, yeah, ring. Ring, ring, ring. She gets a phone call. Yeah. And it's Hannibal, her BFF, mm-hmm. who is in some other country. Mm-hmm. Tropical. Looks very nice. Yeah. Uh, He's got a great wig. He has a great wig. Oh, my God. That hat with the wig that's built into the hat is so good. And he's just, like, hanging out in a restaurant, and he's like, don't worry, like, great job, you did it. And she's like, are you going to come kill me? And he's like, no, 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 world's great with you in it. And then he's like, but uh, I got to go meeting an old friend for dinner. And it is uh, Chilton walking down the street with his little guard, and Hannibal just sort of lazily walking behind him mm-hmm. with his hat and wig on. Um, he's going to kill that guy. You know? He's going to kill him and eat him. Yeah. yeah. And thus begins Hannibal Part Two. Yeah. yeah. So I think that the the movie's interesting. Um, it's like very clear why it was so culturally important. It's mm-hmm. it, it is moving. It is very like um, it kind of like arrests your anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, like out of your control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just like okay, uh, everyone here is creepy. Everyone here is awful. I hate that being in this position of weakness in this world. And I think mm-hmm. in that way, it really uh, kind of shows like um, what women have to deal with <laughs> on a day-to-day business uh, yeah. uh, uh, basis. Um, and also kind of shows like the, the difference between perception and reality, which I think is really interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about the politics of uh, Buffalo Bill. I mean, like we said before, I feel like the script is more nuanced than the the movie is when it comes to him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I can't. I don't know if this is sort of like this movie. The movie like is a very good movie. Would I watch it and uh, entirely endorse it in today's day and age? I don't know. I don't think. I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm like it. It's a yeah, fantastically well made movie and. It's one of those things that I, I think too. It's just like the cultural legacy of it almost undoes, you know, any good or bad intention that the yeah. filmmakers had because yeah. of just like is it disclosure? Is the documentary? Have you? I think no. on Netflix that's um, about trans representation in media, and and that, so and that's, that's a, like yeah, that's a huge one. one. Yeah. And even I was listening to a different podcast talk about this movie and um, had a trans person on talking about it. And they were even saying, like, they felt like at the time, like, there was so little trans representation that people even just um, perceived Buffalo Bill as just being gay. Yeah. Or not 
just being gay. Sorry, <laughs> sorry to all our listeners. But he's so much more. <laughs> yeah. In like in just so much of the uh, so much of the backlash and the jokes, you know, was directed at just gay men rather yeah. than well, even look just at that gay yeah. man who wants to wear a dress. Yeah, whatever. exactly. <laughs> and so I did. And this is anecdotal. This came up uh, on the podcast as well, though that. Apparently, Jonathan Demi, the, the director, yeah, uh, felt so guilty about how the Buffalo Bill character, you know, became, became. in the culture yeah. that his next his next film was Philadelphia, mm. and I think he expressly wanted to have a story with a a gay protagonist who is well I mean I mean that shows the politics of the time that he's like I feel so bad about what I did to gay men in this movie right. I'm gonna do something else in this right movie. exactly it's again like, is this uh, straight man, yeah this straight really... cis man being like here let me make it up Tom Hanks yeah, Tom, Tom Hanks is Tom gay Hanks? and has AIDS look everyone <laughs> like, loves Tom Hanks yeah. he's gay just like Buffalo Bill <laughs> right and you're like okay it's like but a... uh, yeah again you're like well for like the early 90s it could be worse I guess <laughs> yeah it's still like in, in a place where you're like this is watchable but man they they have they have the opportunity to do something really interesting uh, yeah or like something that feels a little bit more um not timeless but you know what i mean like modern i guess with that character and they didn't um mm-hmm. yeah so that is uh the first course why don't we go on to the second course, which is Ratatouille? <laughs> oh man, uh, I uh, I love this movie. It yeah. makes me my heart feel warm. It's a great movie. Again, another movie that I had not seen all the way through, but I, that just blows my mind. Like Ratatouille is I, are, is one of the Pixar's that I just feel like everybody has seen and then locked away in a memory box of like, oh yeah, I've seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that I missed that one because I've seen all the other Pixar's. Yeah. Of all the early Pixar's, I've fallen off now. I haven't yeah. seen that many of the new ones. Cars 3. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, Cars 3 is the best. But yeah. now, I, yeah, and I feel like Ratatouille gets brought up as, like, underrated best Pixar movie. I, I It's so good. It, yeah. It's such a standalone, fun, nice, heartwarming story. Yeah. About being yourself. <laughs> Just yeah. like Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it's, no, it's great. I feel like I love to. I mean, it's 2007. Like that's that's so long ago now. And I feel like the Pixar thing now. You know, Pixar has its own cultural legacy and idea of like what a Pixar movie is. But yeah. just like watching it, you're like, oh, this is like when they were like defining what a Pixar movie is. It feels very like. Um, it definitely still feels like a Pixar movie, but it feels unique. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if you watch Toy Story and Pixar back, uh, Pixar Ratatouille back to back, you'd be like, these are completely different movies. Whereas if you watch some of the more modern ones back to back, you're like, okay, yeah, it's right. Pixar. There's a theme, yeah. and I I feel like that's what I miss about like some of the, these types of movies. I feel like now the current, at least like one of the trends with Pixar is to take these like abstract concepts and like anthropomorphize them. So yeah. you have like Inside Out and like Soul, yeah. and like I feel like interesting movies, but I feel like the thing I love about Ratatouille is it's like it's about a rat that can cook and then like there's so much more like the human element comes out yeah. of that but it's it's in- not like instead of personifying innate uh, innately human things like a soul or emotions or whatever it is yeah. literally personifying like 
the thing of like, hey, this rat has a dream. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, I just want him to achieve his dream. And like, who who can? Why why does everyone say that he has to be like a, a rat? He can be whatever he wants yeah, to uh, be. <laughs> and like, you get you get the like little taste of the like Pixar stuff of like the scene at the beginning where he's eating and you see all the fireworks yeah. and how he experiences like that, that feels actually feels very soul to me. Yes, that's very soul and like inside out. But yeah. you just get like the little bit of that, and you're like, that's such a cool way to portray that. Mm-hmm. And then, but then it's it's nestled into this like grander, yeah. grander story. So, Ratatouille. It's about a rat named Remy who uh, learns to cook from watching. Uh, as like he doesn't like being a thief essentially as yeah. a rat, stealing food and bringing it back to this colony. His dad's sort of a hyper masculine guy. Seeing the parallels mm. between this and mm. Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> um, but he uh, he's like has such a good nose and has such a good palate yes. that he becomes like the poison sniffer, essentially mm-hmm. making sure that everyone mm-hmm. is safe. But he hates it because he wants to do other stuff. But then when he's like inside this human's house, this old lady who later reveals herself to be completely insane, (laughs) (laughs) self-destructive to a a wild degree. Um, But she always has on like essentially the Julia child of this world, which is, um, what's it? Not Gaston. Gusto. Gusto. Anyone can cook. Anyone can cook. And Uh, he learns how to cook from reading Gusto's Anyone Can Cook. So my, I thought about this today. The thing I love about this movie is that the implication is that any rat could learn how to read. They're just not and talk. Yeah, and like well, they're not just talk, well, they don't. Listen, yeah, guess. but they're just not interested in it. Like yeah. Remy, they don't like really. Other than like his fine palate, he doesn't have like special powers no, as a rat. He's not super hyper intelligent or whatever. Yeah. He's just a Curi- rat and he's who curious. Likes human stuff. Yeah, um, it's great and. Yeah, so then we kind of go through. Uh, he learns how to cook and is trying to get his stupid brother to, <laughs> to like, taste. And yeah. uh, so he's trying to cook this thing for him, and the he just needs some spices. So he goes back into the, the person's house, and the old lady wakes up, immediately takes out, like, a hunting rifle, and just starts shooting up her house because she hates these fucking rats. <laughs> it's wild to me. Like, literally horrifying she comes back in in like a world war one exterminator like gas mask i forgot about like the the poison that she's trying to kill after she literally collapses her ceiling which to be fair was a rat's nest (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but uh and they all have to escape in the boats (laughs) yeah and i yeah this movie was rated g too which i was like this movie has that's not even the only scene with a gun too there's a gun that pops up later but again just like knowing this movie i was like I didn't even know there was parts of this movie that didn't take place in Paris. So I'm like, I was surprised by how much little backstory you get. Yeah, from the I beginning. mean, it's really interesting, like the um, how it, it kind of at first you're you're like this could be anywhere essentially, except mm-hmm. you know it's you know in a small town, I yeah. guess, countryside. Uh, and then when they get washed away into the sewer. Um, he loses his entire family. They all go down and he wasn't fast enough because he had to go save the cookbook, which honestly, not the smartest move. <laughs> not the smartest move, but also too, thinking about watching, if I'd seen this as a kid, that scene, the scene of him losing his family is like traumatizing because yeah. it's just, they just get out of reach, but you can still kind of hear them. And you're yeah. like, he's, they're so close. He can obviously catch them. Yeah. And then you get to the split and you're like, oh no, which way to go? He's not and he just them. misses them. Um, but you know what, Patrick? 
he may lose his family, but he finds a life of cooking and adventure. This is true. <laughs> this is yeah, true. Yeah, so he takes the left passage in this drainage pipe and he gets shunted down into the sewer system of an undescribed location uh, where he reads the cookbook back to front and starts hallucinating uh, Gusto being like, why are you here? Why aren't you going upstairs? <laughs> I'd be like, That's my Gusto, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Which is better than 99% of the French accents in this movie for the people that bothered to do them. Yeah, I it's mean, fascinating. The main character, other than Remy, is named Alfredo Linguini. Alfredo, which again, that's a first draft name. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> that, like a placeholder of like, yeah, yeah I mean, if, if it doesn't work out, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and they, he kind of like crawls out of the, the sewer to find food and he finds Gusto's kitchen. He finds out that he's in Paris. And also, as he's like going through that apartment complex, we get a lot of weird like tableaus of like yes. French culture, I guess. Like there's that one with the the woman with a gun and the guy being like, ah! and then a gunshot goes off and then they're kissing. Yes, <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> I want to see that Pixar movie. <laughs> also, how did she get a gun? This is France. I not know. America. Why does everyone have guns? <laughs> um, but yeah, and she kind of like he sees all these different people living their lives, and then he pops out, finds Gusto's, and like starts witnessing the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Enter Linguini. <laughs> Man, I have to say, um, uh, Linguini is very pathetic. I was going to say, he kind of sucks. He's not a good... He mostly sucks. Yeah, the, the best parts of his life is when a rat is controlling everything that he does. <laughs> yes, I like... He doesn't even... I was kind of thinking, well, you know, by the end... He'll have learned something and will know how to cook. He doesn't really ever learn no. how to cook. And he also doesn't really show an interest. He's actually more into letting a rat learn how to puppet his body around by pulling his hair yeah. than learning just how to cook. <laughs> right. And there is, I mean, he's relatable in some way. I feel like it's the, you know, he's got imposter syndrome. Yeah. He's in this French kitchen where he doesn't yeah. know what he's doing. And he's lost so many jobs. Yeah. He's lost so many jobs. He's, he like, like, he's a Nepo baby. <laughs> yeah. He like goes in, he presents this letter to the cook, uh, the head chef who is. What is his name? Oh, God. He it, is. He's awful. It, yeah. it starts with like a K, right? What's his name? Uh, uh, but yeah, he. Um, yeah, he brings in the letter that is. Um, his mom was Gusto's lover. Which his, do they say? Do they say lover? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but it's like just... never married, right? Never like family. Uh, the guy's name is Skinner, Chef Skinner, um, which really? I did not catch that name. That feels like a no. very, like, you know, <laughs> they're always like head chef. Yeah, <laughs> um, but so. he uh, is awful and is essentially like trashing Gusto's name because he doesn't have an ounce of creativity in him. So he's yes. instead making these stupid racist <laughs> freezer meals. <laughs> oh, man, uh, this is... I mean, both of these movies, another thing similar about them, they both have one moment where you're like, ooh, that doesn't hold up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, he uh, kind of presents this letter, um, and the other chefs already have hired him. And he's like, what? You hired someone in my kitchen? And they're like, as a garbage boy. And he's like, yeah, whatever, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he finds out later that the letter says that he is Gusto's son. <gasps> and actually, there's only one month left on the the will that if you 
if he comes into the limelight and says like, I'm Gusto's son, he inherits everything. Mm-hmm. But if he doesn't for one more month, then the sous chef Skinner gets everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Skinner starts falling deeply into a paranoid state. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they find a rat in the kitchen and they say, Linguini, go kill it. And he runs out to go kill it. Yes. Um, so this is the scene. I mentioned it on the thing. I had not seen this movie. But as soon as we got to this scene in the movie where Remy is looking down on the skylight and he mm-hmm. falls in, there's the beautiful scene of him running around the thing. Mm-hmm. And eventually he makes, or yeah, then he takes him out. Anyways, all this whole scene, for some reason I had downloaded on my iPod video <laughs> and I watched it over and over, but was never interested enough to be like, hey what mom, can we, get the, can we get Ratatouille from the red box? It's so, a five minute long scene that you were like, I know everything about yeah, this. Next was, he's gonna run into this cart. And I was like, what? I, you just watched this on a literal like two inch iPod yeah. screen? Is that in Joe Dirt, just watching those over and over. Yeah. <laughs> Which coincidentally, Joe Dirt has a very bad Buffalo Bill joke in it. It does? Full circle. Yeah, he gets he gets like kidnapped by a Buffalo Bill type. Oh, I, remember. I don't remember the exact jokes they make but yeah. i'm sure it's not it doesn't age well yeah i mean otherwise joe dirt 10 perfect out of 10. movie perfect movie <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah so he also but remy a big thing we forgot is that linguini like bumps the soup and it yes. spills and then he just starts flinging anything into the soup to fix it to like reconstitute the soup and remy's trying to escape but then it's like oh no he fucked up the soup let mm-hmm. me help and he fixes the soup mm-hmm. but even in a way that is even better than before mm-hmm. and everyone loves it and everyone's like fuck yeah soup <laughs> <laughs> give us the soup yeah give us the soup um and so he goes out to kill remy and then it's like man i need this job i can't lose this job wait you can understand me and then remy's like yeah and he's like and you can cook and he's like yeah and so then he's like i'm gonna let you out and he lets him out and remy bolts but then being a true hero he stops running mm-hmm. turns around and witnesses Linguini in all of his pathetic <laughs> sort of wimpy glory <laughs> and he comes back and is like okay we get we'll figure this out um Thus begins this sort of scene of them trying to to figure out how to cook together. Eventually they do. He pulls on his hairs and can puppet him and, around. Yeah. Again, just something that's so ubiquitous. The rat in the hat pulling the hair. I feel like it gets referenced so much. It's I in, mean, we just had an Oscar season in yeah. which the lead movie had Raccoonatooth. Yeah. Just like a big <laughs> plot point in the movie. Yeah. But just watching it play out in real time, you're just like, what the this fuck? Is, this is cinema <laughs> where yeah. he just yanks on his hair and his arm moves <laughs> his arm and you're like, up. yeah, I'm this, this tracks. Yeah. <laughs> this it's, makes sense. It's also just, if you really think about it, horrifying. Yeah. That, you could be puppeted around by whatever got on your head. Right. You know? Yeah. Is it like, specific, like, is it, is he, did he grab just the right hairs? I don't know. It feels like it... Linguini's hair is connected to his brain or something. Yeah. <laughs> like you yank on a hair and it actually physically moves a body part as though, like you said, on mari- marionette strings. Yeah. Very scary. Um, but yeah, so then they sort of, he in a single night learns how to cook by pulling this man's hair. Mm hmm. Well, Which yeah, is pretty impressive, well, Remy, Remy already knew how to cook. Cause it's yeah, it's about more about puppeting. piloting yeah. this person. <laughs> um, and they start cooking together. Um, and they become better at it. And eventually, uh, Chef Skinner, who's like, fuck this guy. Let's get him out. 
serve the sweet meats gives him to send out like a bad recipe yeah. uh, that's terrible and remy fixes it yet again 2-0 remy wins skinner sucks um, i also love that like skinner is deeply paranoid and just keeps seeing rats everywhere yeah very funny yeah and it quickly goes from he he knows he's he's suspicious of there's there being a rat in the kitchen which is understandable yeah because there then, are rats in every kitchen yes which also i don't know if this is in my head the pitch for ratatouille that's the starting point is yeah. In Paris, every every restaurant has rats. Even the fanciest five star restaurant you yeah. can imagine. And they're cooking. Yeah, yeah. and they're cooking. And they're, they're the ones the doing the cooking, <laughs> which I love. And again, it's like how it plays out in everything, everywhere, all at once. Where you take where you take this morsel of an absurd idea and then yeah. just play it to its logical conclusion. Yeah, and I just love that. Yeah, it's just it's really great. Um, and yeah, so that he. We find out the Skinner has been making all of these sort of um, uh, frozen. Yeah, meals. well, they're like, they're they're styled super close to which one? It wasn't Amy's. Yeah, Amy's they are. burritos. Weird. Yeah, yeah. I, I always think about that too. Where I'm like, I kind of want an Amy's burrito. Look at that. <laughs> um, but they, it has burritos. He has Chinese food. He has all these things, and they have gusto kind of mocked up in all of these kind of ethnic clothes, which is not the good. It's a bad board. But I guess it's it's based in reality, because you've got like Newman's Own, yeah. even the Trader Joe's, you've got I mean, I Trader guess Newman's Ho Own, like uh, one of the salsas has him in like a sombrero yeah. or whatever. There's Trader Jose's and then Trader <laughs> Ming's. Like, oh boy. Come on, Trader Joe's. Yeah. Um, <sighs> but yeah, so uh, then... Um, the he like Skinner has a complete freak out in front of his lawyer and the lawyer's like what the fuck is wrong <laughs> with this guy and he's like just give me a hair it'll be fine we'll yes. figure it out um, and they find out that he is in fact the sons of Gusto mm -hmm. his blood runs in his veins yep turns out Everyone can cook except for Gusto. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't get any no hereditary talent. Yeah, and so um, the while this is happening, um, one of the the lady chef, uh, what's her name? Oh. Uh, I was going to say Celine, but voiced by Janine Garofalo doing a wild French accent. Not wild. She's doing her best for a French accent. Um, yeah. Who is it? What is her name? Uh, is it not Celine or something? But she Colette. Colette, yes, Colette. Um, who is a badass in this movie and is teaches Remy how to like cook like a chef. Yeah, no, um, she really. She and also again, very much like Silence of the Lambs. There's a lot of stuff in here of like, you think that I made it to a five star kitchen and I'm able to deal with these asshole men all the time mm -hmm. by being mm -hmm. soft. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Very much so. And yeah. even Remy is dismissive of her. And I'm like, that's a little sexist of you, Remy. Yeah. She she knows what she's doing. She's worked here longer than you have. Yeah. But yeah. No. She's she's a badass. She rides motorcycles. She's got a leather jacket. Mm -hmm. And it's also like kind of, um, you're like, does she, is she did she fall in love with, uh, Linguini or did she fall in love with Remy? Because yeah, you're like, what, of, what, like what, what do you see in there? Much like B movie. She's trying to fuck an <laughs> animal. <laughs> That's where I was hoping we were getting. At. The, <laughs> That's why I actually agreed to watch this. Yeah, movie. it's like here we go. Yeah, it is though. I mean, they definitely they ride the motorcycle away. They definitely go fuck. I feel like this is a probably. <laughs> I'd have to think about other Pixar movies, but like 
this for is a the G most movie, sexual. Yeah, it's just like very much like sex exists in this universe, which yeah. you can't say about every Pixar like kids movie. Yeah, and like you know, I don't, I I think that's that's good. It's yeah. a good thing, <laughs> except <laughs> for maybe um, uh, turning red. Which is about that's true, you know, yeah. Periods and wanting that's true. to I like that. That kiss boys good. and things. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, Linguini and Colette start to kind of fall in love. Remy starts feeling a little jilted, mm-hmm. um, and his family, who he is reunited with, by the way, um, mm-hmm. starts kind of showing up outside the restaurant, being like, "Let us in the restaurant because I want to fucking eat some food," um, and he. Sort of lets them, you know, yeah. in a, a moment of, you know, not great morals, I guess. I don't yeah, know. But, but also, it's, the, also it's, it's his nature. He's a rat. Well, this is the it's movie kinda... tries to disprove that. But also yeah. there's we were talking about this again, how Linguini is the true antagonist of this film. Um, he <laughs> he's does the, not. He's the Hannibal actor <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> he does not once like pay Remy in any sort of fashion. He sort of like gives him exactly. little bits of food, but like. Yes, he scolds him for stealing. And you're like. Yeah, it's he, like, fuck you, dude. He yeah. literally has made your, <laughs> he, he like, when we meet Linguini, his apartment is a shithole, like. But has closet. a view of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> has a view of the Eiffel Tower. But now he has a beautiful, like two story yeah. apartment in downtown Paris with a view of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's like, just wild to me uh, that he, is so mean to Remy, who is the only reason why he has amounted to anything in his yeah. life. Um, but well, that's uh, Ratatouille, Ratatouille two, or Ratatouille with the number two is the rats go on strike. Oh yeah, pitching it. Let's do it. <laughs> we need a we need a labor Pixar movie. That's yeah. the one topic they haven't covered yet. <laughs> I, I wonder why they haven't. What do you think that that? I mean, it's because they're owned by Disney. Yeah. Disney Can you imagine like... Disney putting out a movie that's like pro union? <laughs> yeah. Well, they did. Technically, they made Andor, which Andor rules. Yeah. is like space communism. So yeah, that is true. And so <laughs> one thing, this is the part of the movie that's the one that I was like, ooh, does not hold up, is that he goes back into Skinner's office when he he's trying to find the key to let his family go and eat all the food, um, mm-hmm. and he finds the note that says that. Uh, Linguini is the heir, mm-hmm. and he sees that all of the like all of the like I don't know are they called fat boys when you have the the big um, yeah I think cardboard, it's like a brand name yeah, yeah it's, it's like a cardboard, cardboard cutout, cutout uh, of all of the gustos and different you know <laughs> outfits, and to their credit it was 2007 I guess they don't have the uh, Chinese food gusto talk <laughs> but they do have the burrito gusto talk and that's not the good. <laughs> No. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, a cringy moment. It's like, oh boy, that's a miss. That's a yeah. that's a no for me, dog. Yeah. Um, but um, as we move forward, uh, they kind of get into another fight because um, Linguini totally jilts Remy to be like, not anybody can cook. It's in my veins. I'm Gusto's son. I'm the best. And he kind of starts getting a big head, and then. Anton Ego, my favorite character. In yeah, this we film. haven't even talked about Anton he's, Ego. He's the best. He's my uh, favorite fucking he character. He is the best. The production design for his apartment. Oh my god, is so, so good. good. It's just like a big coffin. It's like a haunted right. house. <laughs> right. Because I, I mean, I commented on it. I was like, he's basically like, I feel like Gru aped his whole yeah. look. But yeah. I guess he's he's kind of like 
a dra- he's basically supposed to be like a Dracula. Yeah, because he's like. a critic, so he's yeah. a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this critic, Anton Ego, gets told that Gusto's is actually getting good again. And mm-hmm. he's like, I said it was bad. So that means it is bad. And so he goes back and is like, okay, motherfucker, th- sh- hit me with your best shot. You've been playing without a without a, a opponent. So, okay, I'm going to come back next Wednesday. We're going to have mm-hmm. a little culinary showdown. Mm-hmm. But then Remy and Linguini have the falling out. Yeah. And his whole family comes in he's like you know what fuck Linguini I'm gonna let everyone eat everything in this motherfucking kitchen yeah. and then Linguini finds him and like starts to apologize but then sees all the, the rats and is like you're just like all the other rats I guess yeah <laughs> there's some weird stuff here like again Linguini's a bad person um, if you knew that this rat was super intelligent and great and you just saw all the other rats trying to get food and you're like fuck you, fuck all these rats, you're a thief, you're a dirty little scoundrel, then that's, I mean, that's not good, right? He's yeah. in the wrong there. <laughs> no, yeah, Linguini, he kind of, he, he, his ego gets to ah. him, and he never really gets a full comeuppance. Yeah. I mean, does he have... He kind of keeps thing? falling forward into winning, you know? Yeah, mean? again, he's a Nepo baby. Yeah. He just fails upward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he... Um, they have the big schism, but then he comes back and is like, I am going to help you. Uh, but then all the other chefs uh, figure out that a rat has been right. cooking. Right. Te- yeah, because he, he tells – when does he tell them? He tells them and then they all because, walk out. Yeah, because Anton Ego is in the restaurant yeah. and everyone's like, just cook the food that you've cooked a hundred times yeah. before. And he's, he's like, like, I don't know how. <laughs> um, and so then Remy comes back and he's like, you know what, everyone? This is the cook this rat <laughs> and because he's not a very inspiring speaker and because uh people probably thought he lost his goddamn minds they all just leave mm-hmm. but then colette as she's leaving and crying because she realizes that she fell in love with a rat and not a person <laughs> she like looks into a window and sees the book everyone can cook and comes back and is like yeah okay let's do this i guess and then all of the rats come back and they have kidnapped a health inspector. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Throw him in the, the deep freeze. Which honestly is one of the best moments of the yeah. film. Of Any, like, yeah. It's terrifying. It is. Anything in the movie, though, where it's, yeah, the rats interacting with the humans and like the human, a human reacting to seeing a like slightly anthropomorphized rat is yeah. like great. I just like give me more of that. When yeah. the guy, when the biker, like the bread biker guy <laughs> hits the car and the bread just goes yeah. everywhere, and he, he gives him like the finger pistols. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> I uh, love it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's really great. And like the dad's like, Delta team, go! <laughs> it's like they have made a military squadrons uh, within their thing that are that are trained to kidnap and store people yeah <laughs> like when has that come up before um and then at one point skinner comes back to be like all right who's cooking in here yeah. they also grab him and throw him in the back um but then remy makes ratatouille the name of the, the film yeah. <laughs> uh, and anton eco tries the ratatouille being like are you kidding me peasant food and it eats it and he was like oh I was, I was a peasant boy. I skinned my <laughs> knees and my mom. Yeah, because it's, I mean, in my head, I'm like, why ratatouille? Because I've had, 
like for the I mean knowing this movie too I think I always assume ratatouille was like a pasta and then I had my brother's made it before it's really good but it's like a side dish it's like yeah. roasted vegetables yeah it's it's a dish that is made the reason why it's considered a peasant di- dish is because people who can't afford meat will make ratatouille uh, okay you know I mean? and it's kind of like a stew you just kind of like yeah. put in what you have yeah and you, yeah and you kind of just like have these roasted vegetables yeah. in this too um, but Anton Ego's like, holy shit. Right. And it breaks is... through. You find his, his little morsel of humanity that was still inside him. Yeah. And he, uh, the um, Linguini, who's been waiting all the tables, comes out and he's like, I guess you did it, Linguini. You beat me. You're the best. And he's like, no, nope, it's not me. And he's like, okay. And then uh, he's like, you have to wait until yes. the end. Yeah. And then this Colette also goes out and he's like, so you're the person. He's like, no, uh, not me either. No, not me either. And then he goes back and he finds out Remy and they show him how the rat can cook. Little chef. And, and I have to say, like, Anton Ego, out of all of the characters in this movie, is the most, like, egalitarian, understanding person. Because yeah. yeah. he's like, he's not like, fuck you guys. What? What's going on? Crazy. Ah. He's like, huh. Okay. No, he has he obviously has high standards and tastes, but at the end of the day, he's a food critic, and if the food is good, yeah, he's like, I don't care. He's there, and yeah. he invests. Yeah, because <laughs> he writes a a really beautiful. I think it's my favorite part of the movie the, is when that, they read the review. Yeah, the review. Yeah, um, which is just really heartwarming and wonderful and. The, I mean, it's Bilbo Baggins who is that character we found out, right? Yes, which is I, wild. Like, what wild. range of that I character? Know. He goes from Hobbit smoking <laughs> smoking dragon weed or whatever, and now he, he's a food critic in Paris. <laughs> well, it's because in my head, it's he's. I mean, he's got that like distinguished. British actor voice. And so yeah. I was like, is that Ian McKellen, like Gandalf? I, I thought it was too. I was yeah. like, wow, that's or like... Or like Patrick Stewart. Like yeah, those were like the two that like, came to mind. proper, posh yeah. accent. Very yeah. good. He's one... I, I've just... I think he's my standout star of this movie. Like, yeah. Patton Oswalt is fine as Remy. Like, he's... Like, Remy's great. But I actually kind of like Remy best when he's miming. <laughs> when, yeah. When yeah. he's like perceived as a rat. And yes. so he's just sort of like doing squeaky stuff. And yeah. that's, those are my favorite parts. Um, but Anton Eco is just incredible. Well done, Bilbo. Uh, your 103rd birthday or whatever <laughs> really paid off your acting lesson. Um, but yeah, so he writes this really glowing review, but then they had to let the health inspector go, <laughs> which is also, I feel like Pixar's kind of hand wave of the the awful truth of that those rats would have devoured those two people <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah. they would have never been found <laughs> they would have been thrown out with the garbage <laughs> they would have been cooked into the soup it would have been yeah. in the soup and then we would be right back to silence of the Lambs. Yep. <laughs> um, full circle yeah but at the very end you find out that anton ego has invested in remy's startup restaurant that he runs with Colette and Linguini waits tables and it has a really heartwarming, amazing ending of his family accepting him and truly allowing him to, you know, pursue his passions. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. Beautiful movie. Beautiful. Beautiful ending. I want to go to Paris now. I know. That was one thing I was like, I want to go to Paris. I want to yeah. meet all the nice rats. <laughs> <laughs> Say hello. Yeah. I want to go to one of these restaurants. Say hello. Okay. So now we're at the portion of the podcast where we actually have to decide between these two yes. movies, which one is the better culinary mentor? <laughs> <laughs> so what are I your think, thoughts on these movies? I think as, as a pair, it's a very weird one. So Yeah. 
Well, I think there's okay. I think there's if we're thinking about the theme, there's a question of who. A couple questions. One is the question of who is the better mentor. Yeah. And both are very unconventional. Because I kind of feel like Remy's imaginary Gusto is more of the mentor. Is the mentor. That's the thing, because yeah. Linguini never really learns to cook. Because he doesn't. Linguini's a yeah. flop. <laughs> yes. He, I guess he learns some lessons from Remy, but like you, like they're really like beating him over the head with it. Yeah. But then even Hannibal Lecter, he's not necessarily teaching Clarice I mean, he more. He is. He's kind of teaching he's, her how to yeah. think about the case. He's like guiding her a little bit, I yeah. guess. But I feel like a lot of the, I feel like you're also kind of made to think that a lot of like Clarice's skills are almost like intuitive and inherent and so, you know, she has a knack for this kind of stuff. Definitely. But there's also definitely parts of the movie where she goes to Hannibal being like, I cannot figure this yeah. out. You have to help me. And he's yeah. like, you have to think about it this way. Remember this, Lee. Like, these are the lessons. Right. That's um, true. So in that way, I do think that Hannibal is sort of that kind of culinary mentor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gusto is always the voice from within. So I guess in both cases, if you're right where it's more intuitive, both of them sort of have these yeah. intuitive knowledge of how to do it that That's these true. mentors kind of bring out. And I mean, for all we know, they maybe just didn't portray it, but there's like a little floating ghost of Clarice's dad, like on yeah. her shoulder the whole time, yeah. with doing a French accent. Yeah, in like, a big chef's hat. Yeah. Um, or no, it's probably the sheep, actually. It's probably yeah. the little sheep yeah. that's telling her. Actually, I, you know, Clarice does wear that hat the entire movie. <laughs> maybe the little lamb oh is underneath pulling the hair. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we thought that Ratatouille he was a remake of Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs was the prequel to Ratatouille. Ratatouille. Oh my god! Wait, who <laughs> who wrote see? these movies? Silence of the Lambs was written by Remy the Rat. What? I, that's incredible. He's in the Union. Uh, but um, yeah. So what do you think? What? Which movie okay. do you like more? We'll kind of talk about it on the theme, but also just in general, which that's one's true. the... You said you had a, a fun little... Way okay, to well, a similar, similar question to what I just asked, but okay. in a, a little bit different framing. And I have an answer in mind. The question is, could Clarice Starling make Sweetbread Augusto? <laughs> and could Remy the Rat catch Buffalo Bill? Oh, I think wow. the answer okay. to one is yes and one is no. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh my also God. the question is in this scenario it could go either way is it just Remy catching it or is it Remy piloting Linguini <laughs> trying to catch Buffalo Bill okay okay does 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 Remy have to then kill Buffalo Bill <laughs> okay. I think that that's, no if that's yeah. the case I think, I think that, just getting to the house maybe just finding or just finding just figuring out who Buffalo Bill is. I mean, Remy has a really good sense of smell. That's what I'm saying. That's that's what I'm thinking. What I'm but also Clarice could, I mean, she might not be able to make the sweetbread a la Gusto good, but she could probably follow yeah. the recipe. I don't I think I give Remy the upper hand here. You though. think that Remy's I more think... capable than Clarice <laughs> in this scenario. <laughs> uh, okay, so you think Ratatouille wins out. I think Ratatouille wins. I think in the in the in the in terms of films too, I would both honestly both are great films. Yeah, um, both are very they're both wonderful films. Yeah, um, 
very different, I think. <laughs> I think that one is a really interesting, like, psychology study. And the other one, like, in Ratatouille, I never once felt, like, hurt or scared or anything. I just felt yeah. like driving towards, like, achieve your dreams. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very opposite emotions. I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to do a bit where you said one's this very fascinating <laughs> psychology story and the other one's about a guy who kills and eats people. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I will say, though, is that um, because I'm, I'm a psychopath. Um, oh, no. Is that after the Ratatouille movie? Why are all the doors, Nick? Why are all the yes, doors I locked? Yes, I finally got in the you here. <laughs> yeah. Why do you have a bottle of Chianti? Yes, it's uh, nothing, nothing. It's fine. Um, but the thing after I saw Ratatouille, I was sort of like, man, Remy achieved his dreams. <laughs> what about mine? Yeah, what am I doing? Yeah, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> like, I got to quit my corporate job, move to Paris. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I did have a moment of existential crisis <laughs> over Remy the Rat, but which I did not have uh, when it came to Hannibal Lecter. Um, but at the same time, I do think that they serve such different parts of our psych our psychologies that both are very interesting. I think that probably um, Silence of the Lambs is the deeper film, but I think that the that Ratatouille has probably had the more positive impact on our culture. Mm -hmm. Which yes. I think probably means that it was the better culinary mentor to I us. It was, yes. We learned so much. And now we're going to go make ratatouille. I think we know how to make ratatouille. Now. Okay. How do you make ratatouille? Just walk us through it. Um, what are the ingredients? <laughs> take some green. There, there was a green slice in there. Uh huh. I a slice would of what? say zucchini. Okay. I saw I some yellow. I would Probably say also squash, yeah, <laughs> and some red. What is that, though? Tomato? I don't know. I mean, it is a stew. And I think you could do like an – I feel like eggplant fits into ratatouille also. Yeah, there was a purple. Kind of like gourds and those types. Gourds I mean, and I don't squashes. know. Is a squash a gourd? Uh, Yes. Man, we're doing a hard pivot in our cooking <laughs> show. <laughs> is the squash a gourd? That's what our show is called. Yeah, is it, welcome back to Is This Squash a Gourd? Um, um, well, there you have it. We have elevated Ratatouille. Ratatouille wins. Yeah, Ratatouille and, wins. It enters. Uh, it entered the cage match with Hannibal Lecter, and Remy just he like jumped on Hannibal's head, and even though he doesn't have a lot of hair to pull, he still he, he still got the upper hand. Him. Well, they're there. They're just slicked back. So like, he's really got to get down there. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Hannibal. I mean, Hannibal didn't really have a chance. He was in that straight jacket. He had that the mask mystery, on. Yeah. Um, he was, you know, making the Bane voice. Um, <laughs> didn't really have a chance. He was too too obsessed with our modern day uh, Tom Hardy sensibilities. Um, but yeah, I think Ratatouille wins this one. Uh, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Movie vs. Movie is our grand return. Uh, we're going to do some episodes here and there. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, I know that we always promise this, but I promise this time we'll make them uh, every once in a while. And you'll hear Patrick again. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was a delight. <laughs> is there anything you want to plug? Any socials? Any projects? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> not really. <laughs> you're like, nah. I don't really. Have you know a, what? I have other. one we can plug. Yeah, yeah. If you're in the Boston area, look up Please and Spank You. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I think if you also look up uh, at Please and Spank You 
Improv, improv. Uh, on yes. Instagram. Mm-hmm. You can find our improv team and come see some comedy. Yeah, we're on YouTube also. You can watch some recordings of us. Yeah, we're going to do a show uh, in May in uh, uh, Rhode Island. And we have some charity shows coming up uh, at Remnant Brewing on Sundays at 7 p.m. If you know where that is, good for you. <laughs> uh, all right, everyone. Uh, enjoy your time. And if you want to hear more podcasts like this, you can check out my other podcast, Tabletopped. Uh, it's all about D&D and TTRPGs and storytelling. It's a fun time. It's great. And until next time, have a movie day! <laughs> <laughs>